Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shibri Lani, and today on Raise Line, I'm happy to be joined by Chris Bradley. Chris is the co-founder and CEO of Loki Therapeutics, an immune oncology company focused on treating solid and metastatic tumors. Prior to Loki, he also co-founded and served as the CEO of Mana Health, an award-winning health data startup that was acquired by Comcast in 2018. I'd like to thank my longtime advisor and friend, Ken Carpe, for introducing me to Chris. And thank you, Chris, for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Chip, for having me. I really appreciate it. So you've had a pretty impressive background at the intersection of healthcare, data, biotech now with Loki. Can you tell us a bit more about your background, how you got interested in all these fields, any other career highlights? Absolutely. So I've always had a passion for helping people one way or another. And the joke I always tell, and I think a lot of you at Osmosis and on the show can appreciate this, I was raised by a family of physicians. And so it was not if, but when and how I would get into medicine. That was sort of the stage that was set. And so I did my undergraduate was in neuroscience, biology, pre-med track. And I really was passionate about helping people. But I realized pretty early on, I didn't want to do straight medicine and be a practitioner. And so I asked myself, how else can I help people? And at the time, computer science was starting to really take a much more primal role in medicine and in the digitization of medicine. And I saw that as a trend that I wanted to hopefully contribute to. And so I ended up getting a computer science degree, which was an extremely strange conversation to have with my two physician parents and uh, combining those two passions of mine into the first company, Mana Health. And as you mentioned, it was in health IT. And actually, one funny tidbit, and I think related to osmosis and, and your passion at osmosis, we started out as trying to digitize the medical school diagnostic decision trees that my father had been teaching as part of his medical school teaching sort of side gig. So that was our first foray into digital health is how can we better help physicians decide how to diagnose more effectively and efficiently. And that kind of got me into healthcare data, which then showed me all the challenges we have with data interoperability. And that ended up being what Mana Health focused on first is creating interoperability amongst different medical record systems. So anyway, that for six years was a very interesting journey. We ended up selling to Comcast. And I knew during this whole time, my true, true passion was to somehow get closer to the life sciences and figure out how to help people really with treatments and cures. And that's really where Loki came into the picture. So I was introduced to Dr. Claudia Gravecamp, who is an incredible mind, who's been focusing on immune oncology for most of her career. So just decades and decades of of her research. And I was immediately enticed by what the possibility was with Loki, the the core technology that then became Loki. And that's where we are now. Yeah, I would love to hear more about kind of what is the core technology underlying Loki? And then what results can you share at this point? Or or maybe it's maybe too early to, to talk about that. Let us know. Sure. Yeah. So if I were to summarize it at the highest level, what Loki Therapeutics is all about is treating cancer by using your immune system to detect and kill cancer. And this is, as most of your audience is probably familiar, it's it's the broad strokes is what immune therapy is all about. What we're doing differently is, instead of trying to teach your body to recognize cancer, which is very difficult to do, we force the cancer to look like something you've already been vaccinated against. So think childhood vaccinations like tetanus, measles, mumps, polio. We make the, the tumor look like polio or look like tetanus. And what's powerful and elegant about this, and this is really credit to Dr. Gravecamp, 
is your body knows what to do with tetanus if you've had that vaccination. It kills it. It's very straightforward. It alerts the immune system. Tetanus is, has been found. That's bad. Kill it. You completely skip the part about training your body to recognize tumors. And so the concept really was quite elegant to me, and I, I was very intrigued by it. But what got me to start Loki around this, this tech was the result. So we have preclinical, so we have animal models. And there's always this quantum leap between animals and people, obviously. So we really want to do this next as a phase one clinical trial in people and safety. But in animals, we have 90% plus reduction in tumors and metastases in very difficult to treat cancers. So pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer, and, and a whole array of other solid tumors. So one treatment can reduce in the mice essentially all of the cancer, 90 plus percent of the cancer. And the mice survive. So another story I always tell is I did a visit with the lab and I was able to meet the mice that were not supposed to be there because they are, you know, they have a terminal illness and they're not dead. And it seems obvious. It seems sort of trite, but I mean, it, the proof was there. You know, these mice were, were alive. And, and so when you combine the innovative approach with the data, it just felt like this is something that has to be fleshed out and has to be tried. You know, lives depend on it. Totally. And, and one interesting thing, I mean, given that you're focused on turning cancer cells to look like things that people have been vaccinated against, one, one obvious question is, what if someone hasn't been vaccinated? Or what if the, the mouse hasn't been vaccinated before? And obviously, the anti-vaxxers are doing their best to make sure that more and more people are not vaccinated. So we obviously get into COVID in a, in a minute. But what are your thoughts on, on that? You just can't treat patients with that? Or are they supposedly, would they have you know, the ability to cure themselves of other kind of antigens? Yeah, so it's a really, really good question. And, and the short answer is, if you don't have pre-existing memory T-cells, so this, this, this vaccination memory to something, then you're sort of stuck in the same boat, which is the issue is as we age, it gets harder and harder to teach your body to recognize new things. This is just a natural part of aging. And so when you're trying to teach them, whether it's to recognize tetanus or cancer, there's always that challenge of teaching an older immune system something. So it really does need childhood vaccination to have happened or some previous exposure. And I think that's just one more reason why everyone should get, you know, vaccinations when it's safe and, and effective. You know, their physician thinks it's a good idea and you should definitely do and get those childhood vaccinations because here's some interesting uses that no one had anticipated. Definitely. No, I mean, that's definitely something we've been working at Osmosis to, to raise public health awareness of all the vaccines, including now COVID-19 is in the news. So, one of the positive things that has come out of COVID, one of the few things, is public consciousness of the role that healthcare professionals and scientists play, their hero positions, and then also just how you know coronaviruses work, how vaccines work. There's just been a lot of debate and discussion about it. How has COVID affected the work that you do at Loki? Yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of answers. I think on the negative side, this is a heck of a time to try to start a new company, <laughs> and I think any entrepreneur could could relate because so much of entrepreneurship in general is human relationships. It's getting to know people. It's trusting them, you know, especially when you have to raise lots of money or you have to treat patients or both, you know, there's a lot of interaction that that's required. So that's always been, that's always already hard and it's been tougher with COVID obviously, but on the positive side, you already mentioned it. I think there's so much focus on biotechnology and the potential of biotechnology to really fix and change how we live and our health. And also, more specifically, how vaccines work. Even I had to get a crash course, even though I have a background in, in biology, 
I had to get a crash course in, in how vaccines work at the molecular level. You know, what's the theory? And I think now as a nation, we're all a lot more knowledgeable, unfortunately, about vaccines, what works, what doesn't, you know, this concept of memory and how long vaccines last. And I think for our purposes, all of this is positive. You know, as more people understand how they work, then I think it'll show how this approach to cancer treatment can be really powerful. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And in some ways, I assume that the funding environment has been positive for any company doing innovative things around around biotech. I mean, can you talk a bit more about that? Like, where are you in terms of as a company? You started more recently, but fundraising, what are your next milestones? And, and what do you think the ideal outcome of Loki would be? I know innovative biotech companies tend to then be bought by larger companies and then go from phase one to phase four, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. So we are very new. We're a young company. We've really only been around for almost a year now after leaving Comcast after the acquisition. So it's been a roller coaster. So thankfully, we've had funding from investors who have already interacted with me before at Mana and elsewhere, as well as, as myself and those who were founders at Mana. And so that's been positive. We're, especially in healthcare, especially in life sciences, there's always more that's needed. So we're always actively looking for, in this case, the Series A to be able to start clinical trials in people. That's the exciting thing. Normally, it could take years to get to the point where you're ready to actually now make the leap into humans. And we've gotten to that point. So that's really our stage. And so I think the positive is we've seen now, I think the genie's out of the bottle. When there's a, a great need, things can go quickly. And the fact that we are able to get a, a vaccine that looks like it's going to get FDA approval in less than 12 months, I think is game changing. It shows that if there's a will, there's a way we can do this quickly. I think we'll see, hopefully, knock on wood, it's also as safe as it looks and as effective as it looks. And so, yeah, that's been really positive. I think I'm looking to get this all the way. If I, and this is a personal part of the story, and I'm sure everyone again has these stories. You know, I've lost several people close to me to not just cancer generally, but to pancreatic cancer. And it was right around the time, and, and one of them one of them was my uncle, and the other one is actually Reggie Bradford, who was the lead investor for my previous company. And we actually found out about it right around the time I was introduced to Dr. Gravecamp. And so there's sort of a beyond the obvious, which is I, I of course want to help everyone I can with anything like this. But there was sort of this divine aspect, this sort of coincidence, beyond coincidence aspect that, you know, this very large investor in my, and, and person in my life who had this also, you know, around the time I may have found something that could help. And so that was also the reason we did it. So I'm committed and passionate on multiple levels to get this into the clinic and hopefully save the lives. It's awesome. Well, I'm sorry again to hear about your uncle and, and your investor and hopefully the work that you're doing it certainly imbues it with even more personal purpose. So, you know, I, I guess, is there anything else you want to share with our audience about Loki before I, I switch over to your general thoughts on COVID as well as maybe some more about mana? I'm uh, sure. No, I think that was that was the high level. I could talk about it all day. So we'll probably, I'll probably mention it again in a second. <laughs> okay, great. Well, let's hear about mana a bit. I mean, clearly you had a successful outcome with that. Comcast is not a player that a lot of our audience knows going into healthcare, but I know they have Comcast Ventures and they do a lot around healthcare that people are not as familiar with. So can you talk about Mana, about the decision to to join Comcast, anything you can share about that that would be interesting to our audience of healthcare professionals? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting and, and this is something in retrospect, it seemed obvious, it seems obvious in retrospect, wasn't obvious at the time. So Mana in healthcare generally, it was trying to figure out 
how do we create a revenue stream that's predictable and replicable while also helping to improve the healthcare system, right? And I think healthcare has a lot of areas where you can potentially profit, but not necessarily at the same time as improving the overall setup. And so beyond obviously care of patients and the direct care, I think that's great. So Mana, what we're trying to do is figure out, all right, how do we help improve the information sharing aspects of healthcare, the digitization aspects of healthcare. And then you quickly realize, and I think, again, naively, I thought it was a technological problem, which it is. There is a technology problem, but it's also an incentive alignment problem. In other words, data, and I think this is starting to change, but for very many years, data has been considered an, an asset to protect. And the moment it's an asset to protect, even if I have a magical solution to share it, uh, no one wants to do that. And of course, again, naive, right? It seems obvious in retrospect. And so for me, Mana was this journey of also figuring out how do I thread the needle and get people and different stakeholders who do not want to work together and who fundamentally have business models opposed to each other in many cases, how do we get them all to play nice so that the patient can then ultimately benefit? And so we did it through this concept of not just sharing data, but sharing data with the patient. So we had a patient portal. We actually won a competition to become the state portal for New York State, and that was our first contract to really put us on the map. And so we're really proud of that work and just, you know, basically being representatives of the patient, getting patients their data, however we can. And then so when Comcast started knocking at our door, we we're having the strategic decision. Do we raise a second series of financing or do we figure out how to partner with someone larger than us? And I quickly realized for us to create this interoperability layer to healthcare, we really needed to get as much firepower behind us as possible. And honestly, with Comcast, that story resonated because Comcast is all, now it's a mega corporation. There's a lot of different companies. It's not just one thing, but the fundamental was a cable company. And so they became profitable and, and who they are today because of their, the work they put into networks and the pipes and sort of the unsexy parts of getting information to you and into your household. And so I think they resonated with that. There, there's a lot of value in doing that in new areas like in healthcare. You know, we've been following like the EHR story for, for a long time, right? I mean, they were supposed to change how we do healthcare and, you know, they've turned doctors and other clinicians into expensive record keepers, it seems in many ways. And there's a lot of dissatisfaction. We've had other guests on the Raiseline podcast, including Eric Topol and Vivian Lee, who've written extensively about the issues here. Where are we, in your opinion, today with interoperability? And like, what are, you know, do you think COVID is going to have any effect to, is it going to have a positive, negative, or neutral effect in terms of driving more you know, interoperability and patient-centered data? We're definitely now on the cusp of major changes. The legislation, what it does, what it's called, it's constantly changing. But I think everyone now, it's, it's clear that interoperability and access to data, especially for patients, is a core requirement and a major need. That wasn't the case even 10 years ago when, you know, meaningful use was being legislated and the incentive structure on meaningful use was being put together. Interoperability was not a requirement. You needed a medical record system, but it didn't need to output to JSON or FHIR or some of these formats that you may be familiar with. That didn't exist. And so, of course, if you don't require it and it's, there's no incentive to do it, no one's going to do it, right? That's changed. So that's one. And I think COVID has shown, if nothing else, how important information sharing and understanding what's happening with the single patient in front of you, where they've maybe been elsewhere, and what's happening at the population level 
it's really critical. Lives depend on it, not in some abstract sense, but in a very real sense. And so I think that it couldn't be a stronger narrative to support the need for information sharing appropriately, right? I think privacy has to be very, very important. But the ability for those who are treating patients to know what's gone on, just it seems like a no-brainer now in retrospect. Totally. I couldn't say that better. What other kind of changes do you think will happen to the healthcare system as a result of COVID? So I think one of the things, and this is sort of me thinking, sort of brainstorming at this stage, but for those who are unlucky enough to get it and lucky enough to survive it, but would maybe need a lot of medical care in between those two points, how insurance is going to have to deal with this. We're going to have to have a conversation around the cost of healthcare. And again, this is a, a perennial conversation. We all know it's too expensive, but I think given the scale of what's happening, I hope that that provides impetus to, to start reexamining how healthcare is paid for because it's a for-profit business. And at the same time, it's all about negative economic activity. When I'm sick, I need to get better before I can continue contributing to society. And so for me, honestly, fundamentally, that equation doesn't make sense. How can I create a profitable industry from humans that are not able to create value at that point in time because they're sick? Right Beyond the, I think, important ethical issues of helping people, that's an obvious for me, but how can you possibly profit off of that? And in fact, the only way to profit off of it is to overcharge for it. That's sort of my opinion. So I'm hoping that because of what's going on, we can maybe re-examine the incentive structures at a deeper level and figure out how can we make this an industry that people are incentivized to help cover and pay for, but also not at the expense of patients. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting way to look at it. And I agree, like a, a number of our guests, including Marcus Osborne at Walmart and, and Vivian Lee, again, who wrote the book, The Long Fix, talk about how COVID can be a catalyst for value-based medicine and other payment structures, plus obviously the change in the administration that, that's happening. You know, Osmosis is a teaching company at, our, at its core. We you know, educate millions of current and future healthcare professionals, as well as patients and their family members. If you could give us a recommendation for a topic or a course that you could snap your fingers, we would create it. What type of thing would you love for us to create, whether it's for, again, consumers or, or health professionals? That's a really good question. So first of all, I think it's incredible that you know Osmosis and the people that you're serving are going to then hopefully become more and more healthcare providers. We need more of them. We clearly can't get enough right now. And they're heroes. I mean, there's just no way about it. They're heroes. Um, so thank you the frontline workers. But at the same time, what's interesting is we're seeing how much difficulty we're getting because of communication, because of scientific literacy amongst the people you're treating, technology. So I think a course that basically combines the fundamentals of medicine and how to use human psychology to get people out of their own way and with the use of technology, I think that is really what what seems to be the gap that COVID has has shown, which is people don't necessarily, for reasons that are not nefarious, they don't necessarily always act in their own self-interest. And so how do you communicate and effectively use human psychology and behavioral psychology to get people to do the things that they really should be doing for themselves? And of course, ideally also for society. And as you know, a lot of healthcare is already that, right? It's a lot of it's behavior-based. Not everything's in our control, but a lot of it is. So I think that seems to be an area where there will be a lot of uh, fruitful work to be done in the future. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and the definition of healthcare provider and caregiver will be expanding as a result. You don't necessarily need traditionally, you know, four-year 
med school for your residency trained physician to do behavior, you know, counseling around quitting smoking You can have a health coach as we're starting to see. My last question for you is, this is a really transformational event, uh, once in a generation event for our audience. You know, what advice would you give them about, you know, meeting the demands of COVID or, you know, if they were a student deciding on a career in healthcare, out of healthcare, what advice would you want to give them? So I think, and I think we're starting to see this a little bit, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I would say this generally for anyone wanting to do something that they're passionate about, whether it's entrepreneurship or whether it's a more traditional career in healthcare, there's always going to be a moment where it seems like this may have been a bad idea or nothing seems to be working or no one wants this thing, this gizmo that I've made, you name it. And our world now is changing so, so quickly and so many things continuously you know, change, revolve, come back to what they were that a lot of time, there's a lot of virtue in a certain level of stubbornness. If you're just, if you just hold on, things can change. And in some cases, they can change incredibly positively from a situation that otherwise seems very dark. And an example for, for from tech perspective is all these telemedicine companies that have been hacking away at telemedicine for decades, who have been saying how important it is to be able to reach people through technology, not only directly, are obviously now having a field day, those who were able to last, for better or for worse, but just putting yourself in the position of the person who had to run some of those companies for a long time where they weren't popular, there was a lot of up, uphill battles. Things can change, things will change. And so that would be my two cents, whether it's healthcare, whether it's out of healthcare and something else, just stick with it, do what you're passionate about and don't give up. I like that advice. I like that term virtue and stubbornness. And another guest we had, Brooke Smith from Straighter Line, put it well. He said, your timing is perfect if you stick around long enough. And so... Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, with that, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. And, and more importantly, for the work that you're doing at Loki. And hopefully, you know, I'm wishing you and your team the best as you seek to offer a new innovative therapy for cancer. Thanks so much, Shiv. And thanks for having me. And stay safe. And with that, I'm Shiv Gulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise lines since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.